Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you for joining us here on the program. Uh, as I tell you on every program, we're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at richarddugan.com. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations. You folks are reposting our interviews too, our podcast too and thank you for doing that uh yeah i'm a one-man band i'm i'm hosting and interviewing my guests i line up the guests so i'm the producer i edit the audio and i edit the video which was also up on youtube we have a youtube channel uh so i'm a audio videographer audiographer and videographer something like that uh and it's really uh really extraordinary all since uh this whole virus thing started and uh, also uh, want to let you know that we are linked to our guest website so that you can continue, continue your evolutionary process. I get talking a little too fast sometimes, and the words kind of mush together. So I need to slow down. I get so excited. I'm always excited about this program and my guests. And the website we'll be giving you in just a moment. If you'd like to support what we're doing, if it resonates with you, we'd love to have you support us financially if you can. PayPal account we have for your security as well as ours. And please, 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 I've said this over the last year and a half or more, participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. It was the year of perfect vision, 2020, but we're not there anymore. Uh, we are in the 2020s, the decade. So please take the time. I know that dealing with one's dark side is, can be a little scary, but I'll tell you what, you've heard the phrase, You'll, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. When you learn the truth about yourself, when you start dealing with those issues and you release them, you acknowledge, yeah, that was who I was and it has made me who I am today, a good person, a perfect person, perfect meaning to be. Uh, then you can then move forward and fulfill your life's purpose and the dreams and desires of your heart. And that's what it's all about. Our guest today has been doing that for a long time. I'm not even going to ask how long. Kathy Groover is our guest. She's returning for the I don't know how many time. Uh, she, is a, she is a TED talker. She is a, a trapeze uh, artist, so to speak. Uh, she also has her own website. She's an award-winning author, motivational speaker. Uh, she has a um, uh, uh, YouTube channel as well. She's on Twitter, probably Instagram. And uh, we want to thank you so much for joining us again. Here we are uh, in uh, the 2020s. We're now kind of expanding it, saying, okay, it may be 2020, 2021, 2022. We just need to be right here, right now together talking about what's really important today thanks for being with us oh thanks for having me richard i appreciate it i think this is my fifth visit fifth visit i think amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, utterly amazing i i i have to say that um you know it's funny to say that i have to say no you don't have to say shut up uh, that uh, it's extraordinary when you when we first met, and of course we met through uh, uh, Michael Servin, who did a program on our station here. And um, I was very intrigued by the work that you were doing then. But your work has expanded so much 
since in the five times, I don't know if it's been 10 or 15, 10 or 12 years. I forget when our first program was. Yeah. Uh, you, you've really, you have been, I don't even want to say you've been reinventing yourselves, yourself, but that the inventions, if you will, that you keep creating and adding to your repertoire has just, it's amazing. Yeah, it's interesting. Every time I do a show like this, people, you know, like often read my bio and I listen to this long laundry list of things that are just so cool. And I go, who is that? I'd yeah. love to meet them. Oh, that's me. Oh, I've got to do a show now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, every day on Facebook, memories pop up. And so that's really the only way I can track time because I don't understand linear time. And yeah. apparently as we're recording this, nine years ago today was when I did my first class at Harvard. Wow. Meant my first book was about to be out, which meant I started doing the motivational speaking. I was working on, you know, trying to get my own TV series up and going. So it's like, it's interesting to see those, those marks of time. Of yeah. What was I doing? And what was I focused on? Where was I traveling? You remember travel? That was fun. Um, so hey. yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> been a very fascinating journey. I, I it's, yeah. <laughs> it's is, is there anything that you feel uh, that you brought in to your cell we'll call it the toolbox okay that's how i describe the things that i do i, I have this toolbox and i keep adding tools to it yep. uh that you don't use much anymore because it's not as applicable based upon what you've learned since you acquired that particular tool yeah that's interesting because i'm one of those people i'm endlessly curious my favorite tool is curiosity so when i was doing my PhD and my, my ND program and all this stuff, I was learning everything. So whatever I was learning was the hot new thing, which is what I think everybody does. So it was everyone, herbs, let's do herbs. We should do more herbs. And then it was, oh, homeopathics. Let's do more homeopathics. And then it was, you know, nutritional consulting. And then because I'm so endlessly curious and stuff, every time I learned something, I was like, I have to share this with everybody. And, yeah. you know, also sometimes it becomes, hey, this is a good idea let's do this thing. Let's see how it's received. And then you realize nobody cares. Nobody wants to come for a natural health consultation or they come once and they realize you might have stopped drinking diet Coke, screw that. And then they never come back. Yeah. So, you know, there's a couple things that I've tried where after a couple weeks, couple months, I went, eh, it's kind of not resonating with people. So let's let that go. And yeah. I think to me, that's one of the keys of, of being successful and running a good business as well is you know, trying things. Yeah. risking that thing, seeing what works and what doesn't work, and then keeping that stuff that works and then building on it from there. I think we're too often not even willing to try something outside of what we normally do. If it fail, you know, there's no failure, there's only feedback. Yeah. See what worked. Yeah. Those are two words that I have been working to eliminate from my vocabulary and encouraging others to do the same. And that is the words success and failure. Mm -hmm. It's not about success and failure. It's about learning. It's about experiencing. You know, and I'm not even going to regurgitate uh, uh, the Edison example. We all know what that is. So when you talk about this kind of stuff, I mean, I resisted. I, I'm now video editing, as I mentioned. I'm a videographer because I'm doing these on Zoom. I now have a video editing soft piece of software that I purchased. I'm now doing that. It isn't that much different than audio editing, other than now it's audio with pictures. As my father used to say, yeah, TV, it's just, it's just radio with pictures. Um, and I resisted for 20 or 30 years. Uh -huh. 
I said, no, 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 because it takes so long. I mean, for example, we talked before we started, you know, you mentioned your background, you're, you're not at your office. Uh, my background, I tried to set something up with a green screen behind me. Well, I still have the green screen, but it, because it's not uniform, because it's not flush across, the uh, virtual image that Zoom provides or that I could put in there won't work. I'm half eliminated. You know, I, I half of me disappears. So I thought, yeah, I'll just. I'll just have the green behind me rather than whatever's behind the green screen. So, uh, but those are the kinds of things you have to be concerned about. And then the audio uh, and, 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 you know, and, and I wear the hat, not just because it's my style, it's my brand, so to speak, it's my image, but because I'm in a room with fluorescent lighting. And if I take my hat off, the fluorescent lighting causes the top of my head to just shine. You know, for those who don't know, I don't have any hair on the top of my head. I put it all down here. So, um, you know, the, it's like, boy, with radio or with audio recordings, I don't have to worry. I just turn it on and away I go. Yep. And um, so I'm, I'm getting used to that aspect of it in terms of, if you will, adding new tools to my toolbox. Uh -huh. you, you do something that I find fascinating. And, and my wife and I go by Earl Warren Showground every night, every night, because that's the, the way we go home. And what you do is um, you, you are the woman on the flying trapeze. And I don't know if, if there are quote unquote classes or if it's like a ride and you buy a ticket or how that all works. But this is something that you, how long have you been doing that? Seven or eight years. Why did you even bother starting? Right. Uh, that's a great question. What the um, heck were you thinking, woman? You know, I, we could ask that about everything, but it's all turned out well. Um, I, I, I'm an adventure junkie. To me, I say yes to everything. My license plate says go for it. That has been my motto since high school. I don't know where it came from. But to me, I fully understand the temporariness of our meat suits on this planet. And to me, it's like, I want to experience everything. I want to know what that feels like, smells like, tastes like. I, I want to know that thing. That's that curiosity. And so... Gosh, seven or eight years ago, I was at my office still doing massage. I still do a little bit of massage, not as much, but well, especially now. But a uh, massage client said, hey, you know, I went to your website and you're like, you're writing books and you're doing talks and my God, do you have time for anything fun? And I said, oh, yes. I said, I've been splunking, rappelling, zip lining, parasailing, paragliding, swimming with sharks, swimming with dolphins, race car driving, helicopter flight. And she's like, okay, okay, wow. Um, is there anything left on your bucket list? And I said, well, I don't believe in a bucket list. To me, if it's something that you can do, you go do it. You don't put it on a list. Because people write stuff on a list, they shove it in a drawer, they forget about it, and they never go do that thing anyway until they're <laughs> like, you know, 80 or terminal. And then they go, oh, guess I'm not getting to Phoenix, you know, or whatever their thing was. <laughs> Why Phoenix? I normally pick Albuquerque because that's a funnier word. But no, Phoenix, that's my hometown. Like, what can I tell you? Oh, is it really? Well, yeah, it is. So maybe, you know, no one got to Phoenix. But um, so she said, oh, okay, that's really cool. She goes, what do you want to do next? And so I really thought about that and I realized, well, there's not much honestly left that I really am aching to do. And I said, you know, I'd love to try flying trapeze. And so to me, if I've spoken that thing, if I say I'm going to do it, then I'm going to do it. So she's literally changing after her massage and I'm on the computer searching for where I can go do flying trapeze thinking it can't be a thing. Closest one I found was Santa Monica. So two weekends later, I, it was Easter, I remember it was Easter Sunday. Um, I drove down to Santa Monica. I spent the weekend down there. I had an only child getaway. 
went to the magic castle, had fun down there, woke up Sunday morning and did my first flying trapeze class. And I was totally hooked. And the motto of the group who runs the school down in Santa Monica is don't worry about fear, worry about the addiction. And something to that effect. And it's so true. (laughs) Because it's just the feeling is like no other. And I I really wish I would have found it younger because when I first moved to Los Angeles, I was pursuing a career in, in acting. And had that been a thing, like the people that teach me, you know, started flying at eight or nine at a camp where you did trapeze all summer. And it's like, that wasn't a thing when I was a kid, you know, it had it been a thing, I I probably would have added that to my repertoire of performing skills because for an old gal, I'm pretty damn good at it. So yeah, we're, I'm there every Saturday and Sunday. They have classes there like five days a week. There are classes. It's a two hour class. You sign up, you get your ground school training. They put you in a very safe safety harness. You climb the ladder and you fly. Now, do they teach you how to fall first? No. To fall correctly into the net? No, you just land on your back. You just land, okay. Yeah, I mean, they tell you that, you know, but, but right. it's also the very first thing you do is a knee hang, just like you would from the jungle gym. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you do your first catch and you do a somersault. It's a great first class. And, you know, people are like, oh, I'm not very strong. Honestly, it's about listening. If you bring your listening muscle, everything else will fall into place. So it, it's really fun. It's, uh, trapeze has changed my life in many ways. And it's mm-hmm. a parallel for life. It's a mindfulness practice. It's, it was part of my TEDx, one of the TEDx I did. I talk about trapeze. I did a pachaka cha on trapeze. I did, you know, so it's, yeah, it's a big, um, it's a big part of my life. I love having it. It's amazing because, uh, you know, you, you know, you, we, we, we all have our, our little things that we have done. I myself have enjoyed flying, especially mm. in small planes. Uh, one of my early flights was actually um, with a radio station back in Phoenix where the news director and I uh, went out to, at that time, it was Deer Valley Airport, and they had uh, they were having a, a flying show that weekend. So we went out during the week. And they took us up in two, um, I think they were prop planes. No, they weren't jets. They were prop planes, mm-hmm. uh, like fighters. And they did some of the maneuvers. The one thing they didn't do was a barrel roll, which I was really curious about. Yeah. And I was absolutely, both literally and figuratively in heaven. And it was just amazing. And I was, uh, I was even in a buddy's uh, Cessna one day out of Deer Valley once again. And this was in when I was in high school. So th- this was actually earlier than that. And um uh, we got in the Cessna, we took off, we're flying over the mountains in, in Phoenix in the area. And my window popped open, <laughs> freaked me out. And I pulled it back in and it popped open again. And I pulled it back in and he says, okay, you need to turn that a little tighter. So I pulled it back in and turned it and it stayed in. And then the thought occurred to me, didn't, didn't, I wasn't afraid necessarily, but the thought had just occurred to me. You do realize, Richard, that if this plane falls, there is nothing up here to hang on to, to keep you from falling. You know, um, and one of my favorite jokes from the old Bob Newhart series, Howard Borden, he was uh, uh, taking his, he was renewing his pilot's license and he comes in the room with this long, big old beak on his face, you know, because it's supposed to learn how to focus on the instrument panel and he flips it up and how Bob asked him, so how you doing? How you doing on your test? He says, well, 
uh, I know about wind vectors and uh, I know about gliding and, and this and that and the other thing. And there's just one thing I don't understand. Well, what's that, Howard? How do the planes stay up in the air? Without missing a beat, Bob says, skyhooks. Oh. I love Bob Newhart. But, um, well, we have things to hold on to so you don't fall. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. The skyhooks are there so you don't fall. Yeah. Uh, and I've been up a number of times here in Santa Barbara. I, had, I was with a gal who took me all the way out to Camarillo. We couldn't land because the winds were just a little too strong there and she just didn't feel comfortable. And I was up uh, not too long ago with a friend of ours on one of the other programs we do, uh, Scott Dweck, who was a Delta pilot. He's now retired. Took me up in his experimental plane. Cool plane. Very fun. Uh, we had one interesting experience and uh, it was we, we almost had a, a, a side swipe by a hang glider who wasn't supposed to be where he was. Whoops. And as soon as we got past the guy, uh, would have ruined his day more than ours, I think. Uh, he immediately radioed the tower to inform them because this guy was not supposed to be in that particular airspace. That's another issue that, you know, I, I learned as I'm doing this. It was great fun. Um, so those are the kinds of things. Uh, and uh, so when we, when we start talking about this whole, I don't have a bucket list either, uh, uh, Kathy. I, I, it's not that I don't believe in them. I just don't have one. And I have no interest in creating one. It's, uh, it's like, you know, I think it's kind of like you. If it comes up, I'm able to do it, I'll do it. Yeah. And if it doesn't, okay, you know. Um, I, I don't tell the boss here if I'm ever going up in a plane until after the fact. Yeah. Because he'll usually say, no, you can't do that because, you know, supposedly I'm the, I'm the, the key uh, uh, bolt that holds the whole structure together here, mm -hmm. you know, and if I go down, not good. Yeah. Let me well, ask you about yeah, how, no, oh, well, no, you wanted to dovetail off of that. Oh, well, no, I was just going to say, I mean, same thing when I went skydiving it's like i didn't tell my dad till after the fact <laughs> like hey guess what i just did he's like i don't know but you sound really hyper i'm like yeah i just went skydiving he's like god how close to uh, a trapeze was that i mean i know it's totally different because you're literally falling yeah you know, when you're, there's no net but no were there any similarities that you were able to compare to or did you do that before you ever did the trapeze oh i did that oh that's a good question i think i did that before i did the trapeze oh, okay um um, skydiving was okay. I, I, I did it twice, maybe three times. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm kind of done. Like, I don't need to do that again. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I thought trapeze was going to be. Frankly, I thought it was going to be that. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I did that. No, it, totally addicted. Yeah. yeah. So you were about to ask me something and I interrupted. I you. was of all of with, with all that you have not just accomplished as far as the work that you do, but also all of the things that you've done. You went down that long laundry list. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why I don't do that on this program. If those things come up as we're conversing, wonderful. But people can go to your website or on my other guests. They can, they, people can go to their websites and they can read their CV or their resume. Um, but what I'm curious about in the, the connection between the work you do regarding health and wellness and the things that you have done, how has that second part facilitated your health and wellness, your well-being and just being? Your, you talked about mindfulness when it comes to the trapeze, for example. Um, 
how is how has have those kinds of things in category number two uh-huh. facilitated Kathy Groover's um, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being? I don't want to say health because when we get into the conversation of health and healing, everybody's definition's a little different, uh, and sometimes healing isn't necessarily staying in the meat suit. Yeah, yeah, of course. So first of all, let's talk about how those, those wonderful activities, extracurriculars, if you will, have kept you vibrant and vital at the ripe old age of whatever you are. And you're not an old lady, I guarantee you right now. Uh, no, I'm getting there. Uh, that's a great question. So to me, the joy, there's a, there's a joy and an exuberance that comes in experiencing new things. Um, change is scary. Change is uh, something that keeps people stuck a lot. Mm-hmm. And to me, if you're willing to step out of your comfort zone and try a new restaurant, get behind the wheel of a race car, uh, jump in a helicopter, scuba dive, skydive, sure, let's jump off that 15-foot cliff on that retreat. Um, then you're going to be more willing to take, make other choices and take risks in your business life, in your relationships, in your you know, I mean, I, I talked to so many people who, oh, I really wanted to ask her out and I totally didn't. And I really wish I would. You know, there's these regrets that, that people have of, of things like talking to the girl at the bar or sending that email saying, I want to raise or what is keeping you from getting those things that you want? Now, the first pivotal question is, what do you want? Which is mm. the first question I ask when I coach people, because if you don't know what you want, you can't get it. Uh, but I think it's a combination of knowing what you want and that's one of the things I love about trapeze is there's very clear, um, like, here's my next trick. And then you progress to that trick. And there's a progression of accomplishment with trapeze, which I love. There's this whole chart of different levels of tricks. Um, what do you want? What are you going to do to get it? And then that can translate to everything else. So I think it's not only kept me physically fit and emotionally, intellectually stimulated, which is something that I personally need a lot of. But that risk-taking has led me to learning more to help everybody that comes in contact with me. Um, and just, I don't know, expanding my consciousness and enjoyment of this meat suit while we've got it. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, to me, it just makes a fuller, happier life. Yeah. There's a, a, a saying about the end of life um, uh, that um, you don't want to just slowly walk across the finish line. Oh, good. It's over. I'm moving on. You want to come racing and sliding in like you're sliding into home plate, trying to beat the tag (laughs) with uh, a glass of champagne in one hand, a fistful of chocolate in the other saying, wow, what a ride. Let's go again, you know, or even using the example of, uh, and people, you're going to have to Google this, an e-ticket ride at Disneyland. Those were always the best. Those were the best. How do you measure your health and well-being? I, myself, and I'll share this with you as I've shared with our listeners, uh, 24th of July, 2020, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. When I was diagnosed with that, I told the doctor, I says, I know why. Uh, First of all, I had drank two Cokes the night before. So my blood sugar was at 544. Okay. Uh, When they checked my A1C, it was at 117 which averaged out to 275. 
He said it could have even gone to 300. It might have, but to 275. I told him, I says, I know the reason why. He says, well, why do you think? He says, pandemic. He says, really? I says, yeah, not because I got the virus, but what did everybody do when they were locked down? They started eating comfort foods, uh-huh. stuff full of sugar and carbs and all. In other words, they shopped in the middle of the store instead of at the ends like you're told. Yep. Okay. If you're going to eat fairly well. And he says, well, this is going to be a long journey for you. And I said, uh, no, it is not. I had my blood sugar down in the low hundreds, teens and, and, and uh, below that by September of that year. Two months, two months. And when I had my A1C checked on, on um, November 1st of 2020, my blood sugar A1C was 5.7. Okay. Now I still check my blood sugar, for, blood sugar from time to time. I still have the meter and then I still prick my finger and, you know, that's fine. I don't, it doesn't bother me. Yep. Just to keep track, I think everybody should have one just to measure. Okay, just to see where you're at on a given day. Okay, don't have to be paranoid about it. But I'm curious as to how you measure your health and well-being. I mean, do you have a doctor? Do you go in for tests to see where things are? Or do you just know that you know because of how you, quote, unquote, feel? Yes, <laughs> to both those things. Um, I have a doctor. I go every year. I get the blood work done. Just because I'm curious, I'm just, I'm a medical nerd too. It's like, I read medical books for fun because doesn't everybody do that. Um, yeah. I respect Western, medica- med- uh, Western medicine. It is not necessarily my favorite modality unless I'm having a heart attack, a gunshot wound, some sort of trauma or break something. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think we need to combine the Western and the uh, quote complementary alternative. Mm-hmm. I think the toolbox needs everything. So having said that, I've had my fair surgeries, uh, both orthopedic and non-orthopedic for things. Um, I'm recently going through hormone stuff. So I've started doing hormone replacement and experimenting with that and exploring what that looks like. To me, health and wellness is about function. It's about optimal functioning. So if I can do my dance class, if I can get on the trapeze and do what I want to do, if I can travel and deliver my talks with enthusiasm and vibrancy, I, I pretty much eat and drink what I want. You know, um, I perpetually wanted to lose five pounds, but I think I've done that my entire life due to a very abusive dance instructor who convinced me I was fat at the age of like 13. So that (laughs) sticks with you after a while. So, you know, and and speaking to something like that, you know, I don't know that I, I, I never really could have been diagnosed with an eating disorder, but I definitely have some body image stuff. And to me, dealing with something like that isn't, oh, I have to be at that perfect weight. It's, am I happy with the weight that I'm at? Am I satisfied? Because I've never been heavy. You know, so for people who are actually dealing with weight issues and wanting to lose weight, that's not what I'm talking about if you're not watching me. Um, but to me, it's, am I happy with who I am right in this moment? And that's, that's, a, that's a moving target because there are days you go, man, I'm not happy with who I am. You know, and just like if you have kids, you know, you always love them. There are days you don't like them, (laughs) but you always love them. And I think that's the same thing with ourselves. It's like, how do I, how do I look at myself today as a, as a being? Am I treating people well? Am I, um, to me, it's about a level of function. And so many people hear the word health and they think it's simply an absence of disease. Oh, well, I don't have a diagnosis code, so I must be healthy. No, 
no, it's about function. It's about all aspects of sexual health and financial health and mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. Am I meditating? Am I connected with the people around me? Am I, am I respectful and present with my boyfriend and my clients? And, you know, to me, that's what wellness is. So yeah. that's how I gauge it. And it, it changes with every moment. I mean, you could ask I, me how I'm feeling right now. And it was different than how I felt last night. When I hit 200 pounds, okay, uh, the, num- the, the weight itself didn't make me feel uncomfortable. The number did. I said, that's not me. That is not me. Now, when I was weighed on the 24th of July, 2020, I was 182 and I was ecstatic. I said, I don't recommend getting type 2 diabetes to lose weight, but if that's how I'm going to do it, then I'm, you know, and uh, I think I've pretty much kept it off because, so basically losing uh, the weight from 200 to 182 on July 24th of 2020, when I was weighed, I was 182, very happy, very happy about that. I recommend you getting type 2 diabetes (laughs) to do that, but you know, it is what it is. And uh, I think I pretty much kept it off. Uh, But as I said, it was because of the pandemic. So my wife and I went back to the salads and the good foods and this and that and the other thing. And uh, my A1C, of course, is down where it belongs and where it is going to stay, basically. Uh, And of course, she's she's been very concerned because she's she's known about sodas. And I understand, too, that you were a very religious person uh, some years ago. You actually went to the Church of Mountain Dew. I did. Uh, That was a thing. Yeah. And and. You know, it's, it's interesting. Sugar. Uh, you know, there's, there's heroin and there's cocaine and there's meth and there's uppers and downers. One pill makes you larger and one pill makes you small. But what's even worse is sugar. Yep. Um, yep. Now, there's nothing wrong with sugar in fruit or if there's sugar in vegetables. Love sweet potatoes and strawberries <laughs> and and bananas and all of that kind of stuff. Um, that's one thing. But when it's processed in products that we buy in the middle of the grocery store, uh-huh. our bodies are like filters, aren't they? Yep. And if you're putting stuff in, it's kind of like the oil filter in your, your vehicle. If you start putting the wrong kind of oil, you start putting canola oil in there. Or you start putting crude oil in there instead of the the refined motor oil that it's designed for, Mm -hmm. it's clogged. That's where disease comes from or dis-ease comes from, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, it comes from a lot of places. I mean, it's environmental, it's genetic, it's to a certain extent emotional, it's stress-related. It's, you know, 60 to 90% of our doctor's visits are from stress-related illness. So if we can you know, we can't necessarily control our environment. You know, I know people that have grown up, you know, grew up in an area where there was a lot of pesticide sprayed or they were down the, down the creek from a paper factory or, you know, there's only so much we can control about that. Sometimes genetics is a crapshoot. Uh, sure. You know, you're, you, just because you have a genetic predisposition for something doesn't mean that mm-hmm. switch is going to flip though. So that's not sure. necessarily, you know, a, a guarantee. So we have to, to control what we can, which is what we put in our bodies, our mouths, our mind. You know, what are we accepting in? And if it's crap, you know, it's, it's uh, data in, data out. You know, if you're putting in crap, you're going to get 
crap result. Um, some people can handle the fast food and the sodas and the, I don't recommend it, but you know, you look back through our, our iconic Hollywood icons of, you know, Catherine Hepburn who died at 99 smoked every day. Uh, you know, George yeah. Burns with the cigar who was what 101 when he died, you mm-hmm. know, but Catherine Hepburn also was slender. She ate incredibly well and she swam at least a mile every day. Wow. In the ice cold water, in her pool at her house. I mean, that's just what she did. Mm. Uh, so, you know, if you're going to do something that's quote bad for you, balance that out with something good. You know, mm-hmm. I love wine. Uh, I, 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 I have a house full of wine. I love drinking wine. I love tasting wine. I love talking about wine. I balance that out by making sure that I drink enough water, which I don't always succeed at. I make sure I eat well. I'm not a sweets person. Like I'd rather have a glass of wine with dinner than dessert. I'm not going to eat the dinner roll. I'll have a glass of wine. It's that finding that place of balance. And that's kind of, you know, with everything, work-life balance, home balance, relationship balance, financial balance. It's all about, you know, what are you going to put in each bucket? And, and it's, I mean, that's sort of the key to everything. Have the soda, but once a month, not five a day. Right, exactly. I mean, I used to drink uh, two liter bottles uh, straight from the bottle. Yeah. Uh, And um, so so when when this whole thing with uh, type 2 diabetes uh, came along, I was was probably in shock for about 30 minutes. It's like, no, 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 no. I I don't want to start having to deal with insulin. Of course, I found out that, well, unless it gets worse, you don't have to deal with insulin. Right. Um, but what it said to me that my wife had been saying to me for years was in terms of the sodas. Now, I hadn't been drinking that many of them per week up to that point, up until that Thursday night when there had just happened to be two in the fridge. Now it's funny. I, I I would sit there and maybe justify it, saying, "Well, they were they were Mexican Coke, so that was real sugar. It wasn't the processed sugar. Sugar, sugar. I don't care what you know. You suck on a piece of sugar cane, and it's the same thing. It's still sugar, but it isn't so much the sugar. It's as much as it is how the body metabolizes it, how quickly it metabolizes. These are the things that I have learned over the process." Yeah. But I want to shift into another area that also causes dis-ease for us. Now, um, we have been going through for almost a year uh, with our conversation, uh, as of our conversation, with a major stressor uh, of this virus that has has caused uh, uh, what's been referred to as a pandemic. Uh, And... um, so, uh, you know, there have been various stages of lockdown and you can only do this and that and the other thing and wearing masks, wash your hands and stay six feet away from one another. Um, and that has caused an, an enormous amount of stress. There's now conversation about the mental health repercussions of all yeah. of this. And some of it's starting to pop out in society. So there are the mental, they talk about the uh, COVID-15. People are gaining an average of 15 pounds, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, during this period because they're eating the comfort foods, you know, and so forth. Um, Then we had an unbelievable historic, in many ways, uh, uh, election process, we'll call it. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, then we've had a number of different movements that sprung up right before COVID, whether it's the Me Too movement or Black Lives Matter or whatever other groups have, you know, have decided they want to get out there and protest and so forth. Then we've had the holidays that are, quote unquote, always stressful for people. It's like, you know, if it's stressful, you're doing it wrong. In my opinion, you're doing it wrong. Uh, because they should be joyful. They should be fun and, 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 and so forth and festive. So we have been hit with, uh, you know, a double barrel shotgun of, of stressors mm-hmm. that is going to take a toll, not just on the physical body of individuals, but on the society and not just America, but around the world. It's going to take a toll on on society's physical health. So talk to us from your experience, from your education, uh, from your intuition about how we begin the process of getting back to the now moment, to the mindful moment, to recenter, to rejuvenate to revitalize, to refresh, to relax, whatever other words you want to throw in there, uh, so that maybe when we get to the other side of this, whatever this is, we're not going to be in as bad a shape as we thought we were going to be in. Mm -hmm. This is a tough one. Uh, And the last talk that I gave before the lockdown, I went to uh, Houston, I did a talk for apartment manager kind of association thing. And the woman said, are you going to, are you going to talk about COVID? And I said, no, (laughs) I said, I'm not a epidemiologist. I said, I'm not a disease person. Like, what do you want me to say? She goes, well, stress and COVID. And this was in March. And I said, well, it's the same stress as everything else. I don't really need to talk about COVID. Then the lockdown happened and I started doing zoom talks and I started doing all this stuff and everybody said, are you going to talk about COVID? And I kept thinking, why does everybody, stress is, you know, to me at that moment, stress is stress. Feeling we can't handle that thing that's being thrown at us. And then I realized these people are, you know, COVID's different. It's different because um, we've never been through anything like this before. I mean, sure, 19, early 1900s flu, not many of those people are still wandering around. Um, The things that we used to use as coping mechanisms exercise, social outlets, all those have been taken away as well. Um, combine that with the government, combine that with the fact we don't know how long it's going to last. Uh, we don't have an end in sight. It is not just an emotional, it's not, a, it's not a perceived threat. It's a real threat. You can get sick and die. So it was hitting us from different sides than what our normal stressor would be. It wasn't fight or flight worthy, but it sort of was because it was so big and so much more than we've ever had to handle before. So how do we recover from that? You know, I think that's going to be an individual thing for a lot of people. I think getting back to a sense of normalcy, and this is one of the problems that I saw with the, you're open, no, you're closed. No, you're open a little bit. No, you're open all the way. Now you're closed again. It's that inconsistency of, okay, my massage practice is reopened. Wait, it's not? Oh, I can go to the gym. Oh, wait, I can't go to the gym. I can, you know, we would start to adapt to that sense of quote normalcy. And then that would be taken away again as well. I think that was probably one of the worst things that happened was the inconsistency in the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. Here we are 
hopefully past it. I don't know, you know, when this is airing, we're, we're playing, you know, time machine with, we're talking in the future now. Um, taking the time that you need to figure out what is going to be best for you, whether it's talking to a friend, whether it's traveling again, whether it's spending another couple of weeks at home until you're sure that you feel comfortable with everything. Um, going back to eating well, going back to having, I, I, we have to get back to the social comfort and that's going to be tough because we're still going to be at a level where someone's fine with, yeah, I'm going to take this mask off and go out. And your friend might be, look, I have asthma and I live with my parents who have COPD. I can't just take off the mask and go out. So I think it's going to be a matter of respecting how we feel in that moment and also respect of other people's viewpoints on that. And if you have to say, look, you know, we've had to, we've had to say to some friends and to some co you know, coworkers, it's like, look, you know, you're just a little more out there than we are. I'm seeing clients and I can't risk my client's health. So there's been some people and some social things where we've said, look, we can't do that. And that's a tough conversation to have because you don't want to be judging them. You don't want it to seem like, oh, well, you're just too partying out there. Um, but you have to know what your limits are and you have to stand by those boundaries. I think that's going to be the most important thing, respecting other people's limits respecting your own limits and sticking to those. And then we can get back to that quote, sense of normalcy. Uh, I think it's going to be a process. And you know, it's funny, you're talking about the, the COVID-15. I had a friend that said, um, when we come out of this, you're either going to be a hunk, a chunk, a drunk, or a monk <laughs> after COVID. And I went, that's great. That's actually very funny. Uh, you know, Because some people just like went on an exercise spree and they're in the best shape they've ever been. Other people went the other way. But no, I, it's just... <clears throat> excuse me, I mean, this is just the most stressful thing as a world we've all gone through aside from, you know, major world wars and things like that. This is affecting everybody. And to a certain extent, we can take comfort in that knowing, look, we're not the only ones dealing with this. And there are people that you can turn to that have had it worse than us. It's, it, it's, I never thought I'd live through a global pandemic. I know I've not been on this planet a huge amount of time, but this is something that I don't think I've ever, I ever expected to see. And then you're right with the election and everything that changed there. I mean, that was also incredibly stressful. I, I felt a lot of exhales as the process happened in the sort of globally. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's been an interesting, uh, it's been an interesting year and all for really good reason. This was a time of healing. This was a time of change. This was a time of transformation. And I think if we can reframe that and look at it from that perspective, if we can pull those gifts, those nuggets out of it, Mm -hmm. then we can start the healing. Everything has, everything has a nugget of healing to it. We yeah. just have to put ourselves in that position and just be, and again, I mean, this key to stress is being present anyway, right? Not thinking about the past, not worrying about the future. That's the key to stress of managing stress. So yeah, yeah that was a very long answer. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, and, and the thing too is that the late Barbara Marks Hubbard used to tell me uh, in interviews I did with her starting back in 2007, 2008, uh, that we were going to go through a transformational period and it was like giving birth to a child. Now I've yeah. never done that. Uh, and um, you know, so I don't know what that's like. I, I, I've heard stories and uh, she says it, it can be painful. It can go on for a long time, but when it's all over, when the baby is finally born now everybody's the ooing and the awing and oh how cute and the Uncle Bill's ears and Aunt Martha's eyes and all of that kind of stuff and everybody is happy and the baby's healthy and has all ten fingers and toes and and all of that goes on. Mm -hmm. Well, we're not there yet, but that's how she described this process. Yeah. 
And, um, and so that's one of the things that I kind of have kept in mind mm-hmm. uh, that, yeah, sure. You know, maybe uh, if I'm correct in the terminology, maybe the, the birth mother, give me the drugs. Okay. And there have been those <laughs> who've become yeah. the drunk, so to speak, because they wanted to numb out saying, mm-hmm. I just don't want to deal with this. Uh, you know, I don't, I basically, I want to just look out the window as the train is going by the, the scenery, the outside, and just watch it go by. Because the train's going to get to the destination, whether I'm watching ahead or not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Things are uh, going to move forward. And uh, things are going to get back to what we deem normal. It might be a different normal, but every day is a different normal. We're a completely different person than we were yesterday. We're a completely different person than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. You know, and for people who say, I don't like change, well, do you want to stay a three-year-old? Do you want to stay pooping your pants? And I mean, it's like, we're evolving and changing. This is what we do on this planet. This is the point of it. And, you know, there is no positive or negative experiences. That's what we humans put on it. You know, there's just stuff. And we decide if it's positive or negative, if it's quote good or bad. And we never know how things are going to turn out. We, you know, things that, that I look back at my life and think was the most horrible experience ever ended up being the biggest gifts. Sometimes we need distance to notice that, but I think we're going to see a lot of incredible things coming out of this opportunity. Is it, does it suck for people? I'm not diminishing the fact that people have gotten sick and people have lost loved ones. And, you know, I'm not trying to diminish that reality of it. I am trying to say that there are gifts that are going to come out of this. You know, we just have to find what those are. And I think once we do that, then, you know, then the healing can begin. Back in uh, March, when they decided to shut the country down in the way that they did, uh, I, I was thrilled. I was elated. I was overjoyed. The reason was because in my lifetime of a scant 60 years on the planet, I've seen the influenza come and go. I probably gotten the flu as a kid growing up and I got sick and I stayed in bed and I, went through the process, moaning and groaning and complaining. And then I got over it and everything was good. And then we got the vaccines and yet the flu still ravaged us. And I thought, and I've been thinking about this for 30, 40 years. Why don't they just shut down transportation or travel, specifically air travel for two weeks, just two weeks. And someone said, no, 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 you can't do that. That would, that would do a terrible disservice to the economy. It would really hurt our economy. Mm-hmm. And I'm going now I'm going as compared to this, that would hurt the economy two weeks. Cause you'd stop it dead in its tracks because people wouldn't be traveling. Right. They wouldn't be spreading it. Um, and, th- and then the other part that you s- just spoke about, I was also elated because I thought, we're doing something different. And Einstein said the, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. We're doing something different this time, which means we're going to get a different result this time. Mm-hmm. Now, we may not like it on the other side when we get through it, okay? But it's going to be different. Yeah. And then the opportunities that we didn't even know existed that have popped up for people. I'm doing video editing. That's just for me. That's just one thing. People went out of their way to start making PPE equipment for, for the, for uh, the frontline people, first responders. They weren't doing it before and they probably didn't think they could do it in the first place. And yet they're, they're making them. They're trying to help. They're trying to do their part 
to support the 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 frontline forces, if you will, that are trying to to as they say combat this thing, yeah. and support those who uh, contract it. Well, and it's changing the way we look at education and our healthcare yeah. system and mm-hmm. uh, income equality and uh, food supply. And I mean, it's changing the way we're looking at everything. Can I tell yeah. you one of my favorite parables? Okay. Please, please. So there's a, a farmer who's got this huge tract of land, but one son, one horse. So he can't optimize his property. Um, and so the villagers come around him and say, oh man, you have all this opportunity to farm all this land. It's really a shame that you only have one son and one horse. And the farmer says, we'll see. And the next day, this, this whole group, all these wild horses come by and just like plop down on his land. And the villagers come by again and they go, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Look at all these horses. Now you can farm more property. And the farmer says, we'll see. The next day, the son gets on one of these wild horses, tries to train him to you know, plow the field. He's thrown from the horse and breaks his arm. Villagers gather around and go, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. This is so tragic. You're one son. And the farmer says, we'll see. The next day, the army comes through and they take every able-bodied man to go fight in the war, surely to die. They can't take the son because he has a broken arm. So once again, the villagers gather around and say, your son broke his arm. What great luck. <laughs> and the farmer says, we'll see. We, we deem these things positive or negative and we just don't know. We have to wait and see. I have found such incredible opportunity out of this pandemic as the cat is attacking my arm. Um, you know, I was able to reestablish my business. I was able to grow closer in my relationship. I was able to write more of my book again. I was able to catch up on these things. And I did my coaching training and I'm doing my certification. And, you know, if you look for, you can find opportunities in anything. That is the key to wellness. That's the key to functioning in this world is to find the opportunities in things. Uh, and make them opportunities, make it a positive experience for yourself. That's the choice we have is we can always change our mind. We can always look at something differently. And that's, that's one of my favorite things to teach is how can we look at the situation differently? Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't agree with you more. Um, uh, it's I, for some reason, uh, when I said that, the, the thought of people using, I'm with you 110%. And I, I always tell them, says, that's mathematically impossible. You can't be more than 110%. Uh, and then I'm listening to a, a documentary on a, a, the launch of a, a rocket. And the engines are running at 104%. I'm going, how in the hell are they not <laughs> blowing up if they're running at 104%? How is that even possible? I, I just, you know. It's like uh, turned up to 11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yet it only goes to 10. And it's like, come on. But anyway, um, so yeah, I, I, I just find it fascinating. And, and of course, you know, I still struggle with the, the whole issue, you know, different issues in my own life that uh, I'm, I, and I have to keep reminding myself of a couple of phrases. Number one is, this is a friendly universe. Okay. You've been taken care of this far, this long through all of those other things. And you're still here you're still living and you're still excited about life and you're still optimistic and happy and doing the things that you love to do. Mm-hmm. Why would you think that the universe wouldn't be here for you now through whatever it is that you're going through on a personal level, whether it's COVID, whether it's whatever it is. And um, so it's, to me, it's real important to, to keep 
mindful of, I think. You know, we'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. And not to judge it. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, a metaphor that was shared with me by one of my guests. And I thought I found this fascinating. It, when we can find the metaphors in certain, we'll call them events. Uh, and in this case, the coronavirus. Now, you've, you, I know you've seen a picture of the single cell. It has those little crowns all over it, right? Because it's referred to as the corona, which is English for crown, crown. which is crown in English. Mm-hmm. And someone said to me, they said, isn't that interesting? Here we have this virus and the pictures we see are over this crown. Well, think about that. The crown, the top of the head, the seventh chakra, okay, at the top of the head that goes to the eighth and so forth. I know there are others as well. And I just, I was marveling at that, that they could, they were able to see that. And so I share that with you mm-hmm. and, and say, so do you think that there is an aspect of this event, metaphorically speaking, that is speaking to us and trying to get us to understand that we are, if you will, metaphorically speaking, we are royalty, that we are precious to the universe. No, I've got to ponder that one. Um, it's not, as you say it, it's not resonating with me. Not okay. to say that means it's not true, but I mean, <laughs> I'm going to get, I'm going to get nerdy technical on you. There is multiple coronaviruses. Sure, uh, sure. So this one is just one of them. I don't know. I have to think about that. That's interesting. I didn't okay, think and about what is your perspective? What is your perspective on the metaphorical or the spiritual, if you will, aspects or metaphysical aspects of this pandemic as it has been labeled by man instead instead of we'll see (laughs) yeah Yeah. you know to me anything global like this is an opportunity to come together it's Mm -hmm. a reminder that we are one collective group on this planet having a collective experience and so the fact that this is happening all over the world pretty much simultaneously to me, should be a reminder that we're all interconnected, that because of global travel, because of the, the world that we live in right now, there's nothing that's just in my house kind of thing. You know? um, and I think it's a reminder to get back to that global community and to love and be generous and be kind. And you know, thinking back to the first couple of weeks that this happened when people were hoarding things that, first of all, why they were hoarding those things, I don't know. But I remember being here in a local grocery store and there was the rumor that meat production was going to slow down and that, you know, and I'm standing in the meat department and I just wanted to get a thing of chicken. And this guy, big guy, bad hat, you know, no mask because we didn't have to do it at that point, I don't think, bursts through and he starts like filling a cooler with meat. And I'm thinking, dude, like, what is the fear from that? You know, it was so clearly steeped in fear. And I think when we react from a place of fear, it's, it's, not, it's not healthy, it's not as effective, it's not as efficient, it's bad for us. Mm-hmm. We should respond from a place of taking that pause and for a second going, look, there's this woman standing next to me who's just clearly trying to reach for chicken. I want to fill this entire thing of meat. I mean, it, just, it was just this weird experience to me of 
this fear and this greed and this me first kind of thing. And I think this pandemic's a reminder that that's not the case. <laughs> you know, that's not how we need to be living our lives. Um, so yeah, in that way, it's this shift your focus thing. Um, just sit in that pause for a second. The pause has such power to it. Of and you being- said, yeah, and you said something earlier that it's going to change our educational system. And I don't mean the institution. Because obviously this gentleman that you're speaking of, for example, he received an education from his family, friends, parents, whatever, that this is for whatever reason, this is what you do when a pandemic hits or when there's crisis or, you know, when you get fearful, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's a learned response to a certain extent. It, you know, it comes from our conditioning. It comes from our upbringing. Now, in defense of our brain, our brain is constantly looking out for things that are threats to us. Mm-hmm. And once we start thinking those negative things, we get on the crazy train of negative thoughts. That's just what our brain does. It's wired that way until we can change that wiring. And we actually can change that wiring. It's neuroplasticity. We can actually go in and change our thought processes and our thought patterns. Mm-hmm. It takes it takes work. Um, you know, it's not just one day you think differently. It does take pruning and changing all those things. And I hope that what comes out of this is the knowledge that we can make those different choices. We can change things. Um, we have control over, again, if nothing else, we have control over what we think about the decisions that we make, the choices that we lay out in front of ourselves, that's up to us. And I'm hoping that this ups our consciousness a little bit. I think it will. I've talked to some spiritual advisors, some astrologers, things like that, that basically said, you know, we weren't doing the work on our own. So the world went, okay, boom, here's a pandemic. I almost said a bad word, figure it out, Um, you know, uh, figure it out. So, you know, I think that the good things are going to come out of this. And not to say that I didn't have my moments of laying in the futon, you know, the the beanbag chair and just sobbing my eyes out because my business is failing and I'm going to be broken. I'm going to lose everything, you know. I had those moments of fear, just like everybody else did. They were short-lived and I didn't want to sit in them because to me, that doesn't feel good. I don't want to sit in that gunk. Um, I want to feel it. I want to process it. I want to honor it. And then I want to get out of it. But you have a couple of uh, catchphrases um, that, that, uh, that you sort of live by as well. One of them is it's not a fight. It's a flow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we just got done watching Cobra Kai which oh. is the, the current show based on the Karate Kid and it's the same characters and huge crush on Ralph Macchio because I'm sure he's listening and he's like, oh, that's great. Um, <laughs> I, so when my, well, I said, you know, do you want to try watching Cobra Kai? My boyfriend said, yeah. I really see he hadn't seen Karate Kid. So you got to go back and watch Karate Kid first. But it's all about, you know, the whole thing. They talk about balance and flow and that's what karate is. It's not about this aggressive looking for a fight it's about avoiding a fight or defending yourself or helping other people around you. And it's like of all the times in history to have this just very sweet show that's, it's simple, it's fun, it's well done um, to talk about balance. And again, I mean, it's all about balance, not only body, mind, spirit, but it's about balance in those things of making those choices and taking those opportunities to make sure you have the skills that you need and the, the wherewithal that you need to, to make it through this stuff. And I think it comes down to balance and, and that yeah. flow, you know, going yeah. with the, go with the flow. Yeah. So you also have um, uh, one of your, uh, uh, the first things that you want to do when you're being stressed out and so forth. And it's, it's key. 
And it's interesting because it's the same advice that's given. Um, uh, my wife was sharing with me with some of her coworkers and the person who uh, shared this uh, with, with her one day when, when there was a little stress going on, she mispronounced the word, uh, but uh, um, it was breathe, 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 you know, <laughs> and uh, that's what we have to do. That's what yeah. we have to keep doing is breathe uh, and then meditate. Yeah. There are those who have a problem with meditation. I am not a big meditator, but I know how important it can be. Yep. Yep. Um, I was not a huge meditator either. People spent my entire life telling me that I should meditate. <laughs> Don't say should first off, right off the bat. Uh, right, right. Turns people <laughs> off. Uh, but, you know, I discovered nine years ago, kind of right now, how to meditate at Harvard. And I do the mini meditation. I train people to do that. Um, you don't have to sit on the pillow and, you know, sit for two hours in an unmoving, uncomfortable position. You can do it. And for people who formally meditate, that might work for you. It doesn't work for everybody. You could do a walking meditation. You could do a guided meditation where you're listening to someone lead you through a journey, through the woods, through to a castle, to, you know. Um, mm. I do mythic and archetypal journeys in my office. It's three hours of you just like tapping into basically a fantasy world and moving forward in your life. It's one of my favorite things to facilitate. Um, the mini is simple. Inhale, you think I am. Exhale, you think at peace. And you just do that for a minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, however long you want. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to contort yourself into some position unless you want to. You know, mm -hmm. to me, it's about customizing that and making it what works for you. I would rather see you do five minutes of the mini than an hour of, oh, this is stupid. I can't do that. I'm terrible at that. You know, and you try to force yourself into this thing that doesn't resonate with you. So to me, it's about just what works for you. There's mm -hmm. no right way to do it. Now, people are going to disagree with me because if you're a formal meditator, there is absolutely a right way to do it. And yeah. my, my Capricorn is one of my ego states. My Capricorn is like, of course, there's a right way to do everything. Eh. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I also like the phrase, uh, and I think this is somewhat Buddhist. Chop wood, carry water. I think that's how it goes. And so you're, you're just, means. you're just, so you're focused on chopping. In other words, if you're stressing about something in particular, get active, do something. Yeah. Okay. Get into that activity. Uh, if it's like we have a, a, a crawl spray, a, a storage space under the house because the house is built on a hill and um, it, it, you know, so I, I, okay, I'm, I, I need to clean that out, you know, I mean, for a myriad of reasons, but I need to pull that stuff out. I need to see what's in there mm -hmm. uh, to see if I really want to keep this stuff. Yep. With that, something else that, uh, that I know a lot of people have been doing, they have been going through their worldly possessions yep. and yep. paring down. Um, and, and I got to tell you, once I pulled everything out and th we threw, a, I threw away a truckload. I filled the bed of my truck with junk and I took it out to the landfill and I'm now looking at the stuff that's sitting outside the crawl space from the one half, one half. And I'm going, there's not that much there. Wow. That's wild. And it's great too, because that means we've gotten rid of stuff. Yeah. And uh, so that's really important to do on a physical level. How do we do that on a mental and an emotional level? Is it basically kind of what you said? You need to, you need to, get into those things 
that are going on inside, like dealing with the shadow side of us, to be able to go through them to in order, in order to let them go so they no longer hold you back. They're not weights around your ankles, so to speak. I think the question is, does this still serve me? Come you know, on. and when I left college and I put everything I owned in a U-Haul and I drove my butt cross country from Pittsburgh to pursue an acting career, I had a box um, labeled S box, crap box. Mm-hmm. And it was um, things from old plays and a pant leg from a guy I had a crush on. And I mean, just like weird crap in this box, right? And every so many months, I'd sit down and I'd go, oh, I would look at my stuff because I wanted to relive all these cool things, right? And it's like, oh, a ruler from my first show. Oh, oh, the pant leg. Oh, it still smells like him. Oh, you know, and then every once in a while, I'm like, the hell's that ribbon? I throw that away. And eventually, I have pared this box down to like three things. The ruler, which I was never going to get rid of, is now in my desk as a ruler. I use it. If it disappears, whatever. You know, as we evolve through and as we grow, we don't need those things anymore. We don't need our binky. We might keep it because it was our grandmother's. We don't need that teddy bear, but it's something we choose to keep because it has a memory to us. It's the same thing, I believe, with these past events, these past traumas, these past dramas, these past whatever. Is that serving me? Do I really want to hang on to that? Yeah. You know, um, do I want to hang on to the fight with the guy from 20 years ago? Do I want to hang on to the jerk that cut me off on the 101 20 minutes later? He's not still thinking about me. Why do I show up to my location and go, you don't believe what this jerk on the freeway did? Why do I want to carry that with me? Um, I'll share my second favorite parable. Very old monk and a very young student walking through the woods and they were of a very strict sect where you were not allowed to touch women you were not allowed to talk to women it was just guys only period and they came upon this very fast moving stream and there was a woman standing there crying she was clearly a prostitute and the older monk says you know my dear what what's wrong she said i have to cross uh, this creek to get to my sick parents but it's too swift i can't do it and the old monk picks her up carries her across this creek leaving the student to be like oh my god we're not supposed to touch women you touched a prostitute what are you doing this ate away at this 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 student and years later as the old monk was on his deathbed the student said master there is something that has always bothered me you know remember that day we crossed that creek and you picked up that prostitute and you you know we're told not to touch women and not to to deal with people of that caliber like how could you do that and the old monk said son I put her down on the other side of the creek. You've been carrying her for decades. <laughs> yeah. How, how often are we doing that? You know, we're still bitter about my mom was mean to me that one time. You know, I'm not not negating like massive abuse and trauma. Sure. And at what point do we got to let that go? Because mm-hmm. it's taking up space. That crap box took up space in every bloody U-Haul I've re-rented. It was in every closet I ever had. And at some point I needed to clear that out because there's not space for the good stuff, the positive stuff, the gifts. If my house is filled with crap and it's the same way with our mind, with our spirit, with our, I mean, when are we going to let this stuff go? Yeah. Let it go. You know, it's not easy. It's simple. It's not easy. And this is where coaches and hypnosis and therapists and friends and and exercises and pruning all that stuff. That's where all of that comes in. So Mm -hmm. let the crap go. 
So mm-hmm. I think that's exactly, you know, clear the clutter, clear your life is whatever the book is called. It's the same thing. If your yeah. mind is cluttered, if your spirit is cluttered, you know, let all that stuff go. Why are we carrying it around? Why are we still holding on to that prostitute from decades ago? Put the modern down. version of that parable uh, is really funny because uh, it was on the Big Bang Theory, Will Wheaton playing himself, formerly uh, 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 um, on Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, Sheldon, you know, has made him put him on his enemies list. Yeah. You know, and uh, so they're chatting away and he says, so, you, so I'm on your enemies list. Yeah. Yes, you are. He says, then guess what? I'm living rent free. And he points to Sheldon's head right up there. And that's what yeah. we do. We let people live rent free, so to yep. speak, in our minds. It's like, wait a minute. I'm paying $2,000 a month for a two bedroom, one bath. And I'm letting you live in my head for free. Uh-uh. No more. <laughs> yeah. no. And is it benefiting you in any way? Absolutely. Is it benefiting you in any way? Mm. It's not. Mm. So why are we holding on to that? Is it just habit? Is it you feel like you, you're not honoring that person if you let that memory go? Is it, you know, what, what, ask yourself, what is keeping you there? What is keeping you in that negative stuck space? And then listen for the answer. I will share with you four quick things here, and then we have to wrap this up because uh, both you and I have uh, other uh, destinations that we are headed towards, flowing towards, as it were. Uh, And it was basically 2016 September. I've shared this story before where I got sucked into the political process. took me six months to get unsucked. But the process that I used was, first of all, teacher, thank you for teaching me how not to behave. Second phase was I forgive you. But more importantly, I forgive myself for allowing myself to be drawn into this quagmire. Mm-hmm. Third phase uh, was, what is it that you are so afraid of that makes you speak and behave the way that you do? Mm-hmm. And the fifth phrase that was given to me, and actually, I'm sorry, the fourth phrase that was given to me, because there were four, uh, by one of my guests on this program. We were talking about bullies. And he says the one of the things that he does, uh, he did as he was uh, as he was learning these things, when a bully would do whatever it was a bully was going to say and so forth, he would just turn to them, look them square in the eyes, and say three words: "I love you," mm-hmm. and mean it. That person has every right to be here, just like me. They are living out their lives, just like me. They came here with contractual agreements, just like me. I love you. And it, and the bully doesn't on the, and, and at the ego stage does not know what to do with that. And that is the process that I have been through. Uh, and some days it's easier to easier to say that than on yeah, other days. Totally. But it's really, really important. I think for people to remember. Kathy Groover, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. This has been a great pleasure. Conversations that you and I have are a lot of fun and uh, uh, enlightening to me as well. Uh, I love the the Chinese parable you quoted earlier. Uh, I use that quite often as well to to uh, to point out that this is not a dualistic world. Only in our minds is it dualistic. It is it is uh, it is just it's just what is, and enjoy it experience it, have fun with it. Uh, and I thank you for sharing the fun you've been having with it uh, through the laundry list, if you will, or, or however, grocery list of things that you have done in your life, as well as the, the health and wellness 
aspects of your life that you have uh, put into your toolbox and your toolbox is getting pretty big and that's pretty cool because uh, you have a lot to offer folks and we encourage people to go to your website kathygroover.com that's g-r-u-v-e-r kathygroover.com and again i thank you so much for joining us and i'm hoping one day we can get together in studio again I love that. Thanks for having me back, Richard. Appreciate it. You bet. Before I let you go, three final questions that I always like to ask, and I've probably asked you four times before, but I'm going to ask you a fifth. Uh, but first, I need to let our listeners know that uh, we are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at richarddugan.com. We are streaming uh, at that location, and the podcasts are also at that location, as well as SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations. And we also ask you if you can help us out financially. Terrific. We've got a PayPal account for your security as well as ours on our homepage as well as our missions page. Go to KathyGroover.com as well to help her out in terms of finding out what she has to offer because, hey, uh, she'll, she's there to help you. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's a wonderful thing that she is. And also participate in. Take that time to meditate and go within during the decade of uh, perfect vision, the 2020s. And we certainly hope that you'll do that. And to, uh, to our guest, Kathy Groover, my first question to you is, because sometimes the answers do change, Kathy. Who is Kathy Groover? Uh, she's an, well, I'd be curious to see how close this was last time. Um, who is Kathy Groover? She's a curious adventure seeking lover of life. What is it that you hope to, or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I want to help as many people as I can, whether it's the hypnosis, the coaching, the just conversations like this, uh, just help people grow and see the potential. And finally, what is your life's purpose mm. if we all knew that um i i think it really is to help people i think it's to to entertain to educate to help people see that they have different choices kathy groover again thank you so much for joining us and folks go to kathygroover.com and folks thank you for listening to tell me your story new paradigms for a new world we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true and until our next broadcast podcast video cast Love to lull.